0: Man, what, a, what an incredible journey we've been on this summer through the book of James. There's just so much in this book. It's a five-chapter book in the New Testament, and there's just there's not enough time to really unpack everything. And so as we begin to kind of hit the, the end of the summer and the last little wave, we really want to dive into the meat of what James is trying to get across to us because there's so many things that really would just help us in everyday life. The wisdom, the encouragement, the challenge, and then a day like today when James wants to come off the top rope and really just elbow drop you with some wisdom. So today may not feel good. It may not feel the warm fuzzies, at least on the beginning, but I promise you if we will adhere to what James says, we can change our lives in a powerful way that will lead people to Jesus. Amen? Amen. I've got to ask you something. How many of you just don't like criticism when it comes your way? Some of you are like, I don't know if I want to be judged by this right now. So anybody, uh, anybody members of Planet Fitness? I am a member. I think I've been twice. It's just the summer schedule's been crazy. At least that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. But the thing about Planet Fitness, when you walk into the gym, there's one, there are actually two phrases that really catch your eye. One is no critics and judgment-free zone. If you remember, amen on that one? That's why I stay on the treadmill. That way no one judges me. But we have these situations in life now where we feel judged. We feel ridiculed. We feel like people are are looking us top to bottom, trying to figure out what's the problem with us. That's why some of you, when the video showed the the sponsors dancing, you're like, oh, no, I could never do that. I'm not that crazy. Criticism to the crazy people. I could never do this why not? We're critical. We sometimes overdo it. And the criticism that we issue then starts turning into pride. And the things that you're bad at, well, I'm good at. And look at me, look how good I am. And then we fail to realize that what we're called to do as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to stay centralized with Jesus. And so today we're going to kind of do a weird trip through James chapter 4 verses 1 through 12 because we're not going to read it chronologically. And so if you're the type of person that likes things in order, forgive me now, love me later. Because we're not going to go chronologically in order today. Because the first thing I think we need to do is kind of set a ground rule that this is going to be a judgment-free zone. Because my heart, my conviction, all the years of ministry that I've been in churches, one of the things that is a criticism of churches that I've been a part of is not necessarily the church itself, but the belief that the big C church, all churches, are a place of judgment and criticism. Some of you have been the victim of that, and some of you have been a part of that. And if neither one of us applied to you, there's a whole different sermon because maybe you just didn't realize what I just said. But we want today to be a judgment-free zone. We want today to be a critic-free area, because all of us are in need of Jesus Christ, and all of us are in need of being together to come to the Lord's table together, which we'll do here in just a few moments, that we come together in truth, and the truth of the matter is every person breathing in this space needs Jesus Christ, and so that's why we're coming together. So join me in chapter 4 of James, starting at verse 11. You know, I told you that some of the things that, that James is going to do, he's going to come off the top rope. And I think these two verses, I mean, it's like he's like the wrestler preacher or something. He just comes off and gives you the nice little Hulk Hogan leg drop or the Macho Man elbow drop or whatever if you're 80s wrestling. I know my friend Zach's in the room, so he knows my references here. We'll get some Ric Flair's out of him later. But, um, but one of the things about this is James needs you to understand something really fast. There's only one Jesus, and you're not him. So I personalized it because I think that I need to remind myself, especially as a pastor sometimes we get a little arrogant in this particular area. There's only one Jesus, and it's not me. I didn't didn't die on the cross. I didn't lay my life on the line like he did. And before I can go judge anybody, before I can do anything in ministry, I have to self-reflect and realize that I'm not Jesus. James spells it out a little better than I do. He says this in verse 11. He says, Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. For anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. And if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge. There is only one lawgiver, one judge, who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? This is not the warm, fuzzy sermon that some of you were hoping for. But there is one thing that we need to make sure that we do and don't do. We need to make sure that we open our hearts to every single person that comes in this room. And we need to close our minds and our hearts to criticizing them. Because there's one judge and there's one lawgiver. And he happens to be Jesus Christ. And the reason he is that person is because not only did he come to adhere to the law, he came to fulfill the law. And because of the law, I am now free through Jesus Christ. The grace, the love... The forgiveness, the encouragement, the support, all the things that I desperately need in life can all be found through Jesus Christ. But if I switch seats with Jesus, it all goes away. I mean, imagine if you were driving a car. Anybody not like backseat driving? All right, so imagine that you are in the car. Jesus is in the driver's seat, but you're telling him what to do. That's what we're saying here. Jesus knows everything. He wants to get you to understand everything, but we cannot if we sit in his seat. You know, sometimes we get in here and we get into church or we get into to Christian circles, shall we say? We'll get into situations where we have people that are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and they love the Lord with all their might, but, that, but let me tell you something. I have a criticism against something. You ever notice that? We, like, we load it up, we front load it with, I love Jesus, I love church, I love my life group, I love this, but I have this against you. I have this. Did you see him? Did you see what she was wearing? Did you know that they do this on Friday nights? Have you seen what's on Facebook? Anybody? These are the things that we're talking about. Get away from that because, you know, sometimes those people that live in those arenas and those areas and those homes and those worlds, they're waiting for somebody to show them love and grace, not criticism. Because once, once upon a time, you needed love and grace, not criticism. So when we come to church, we don't come because if you're a guest, let me just explain something about the fellowship. We don't come to perfect the perfected. We come broken and look for the perfecter in Jesus Christ. We look for the one that says, you know what, in spite of all that I've done, in spite of all the mistakes I've made, I can come to the cross and I can live here free because of Jesus Christ and his blood and resurrection. And that means a whole lot to us. So as we start this sermon, let's be careful that we don't judge, that we don't criticize, because our criticism hurts. You know, Chris was talking a few weeks ago, and my dad had the sermon last week with the bricks, and both sermons of the last two weeks were talking about the words that you choose. You have a choice with your words. You can either help somebody out or you can hurt somebody. And too many times, we try to confuse the two. We're really good at it. Let me give you this criticism, but I want to lift you up. I want to encourage you, but let me tell you this. You know, sometimes that hurts more than it helps. Somebody comes to you, and maybe you've been like this, and somebody has good news. They're really excited about something, and then somebody, like, throws a whole gallon of water on your fire. And it's like, I just wanted you to be excited with me for a few moments. Imagine when somebody comes to church and they're really excited because they know that church has been a place of of judgment-free zone. They know that they can find grace and they're supposed to find brotherly love and compassion. All the things that they heard about as children, all the things that the rumors in the neighborhood, they come to church, they sit in the seat, and then we douse them with water saying how terrible they are. You didn't dress right. You You didn't sing right. You talked too much during the service. That didn't feel good. And I don't want to be a part of that. I don't think you do either. And James is telling us, don't you even dare. Because if we criticize others, who are we to sit in the judge's chair? Only Jesus needs to sit there. And the last time I checked, Jesus is full of grace and love and mercy. He may sit in the judge's chair, but every judgment he has is full of grace and mercy and compassion. There may be a consequence to pay, but there's grace that comes with it. There may be a season where it's rough, but there's always love to go with it. You may feel alone when you got to the judge's table, but he's going to surround you with relationships that will always bring you back to Jesus Christ. That's the kind of judge I love, and that's the kind of church we need to be, one that lets Jesus be Jesus. You know, and, and as I think about this, I get into it, I, I listen to James, I hear the, the statement of don't, being, don't be the judge, and I have to begin to wonder, what is at the root of me trying to play that judge? What is that, the, 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 kind of that moment, that middle ground of why do I feel like I have the ability to do that? And it's a very, it's a very simple word. Actually, there are two words for it. It's called pride and selfishness. Selfishness as, as it like, hey, it's all about me. And if you don't match what I need you to do, then we're not, we're not in business together. We're not in community together. We're not in relationship together. My pride and my selfishness ruin everything. My pride and my selfishness ruin everything. I mean, imagine the last fight that you had with anybody. Preferably it was a, a verbal fight. Hopefully nobody fists the cuffs or anything. If you feel like you need to this morning, please take it outside. But do you remember the really the root of that fight? Remember the root of the fight? I almost guarantee you the root of the fight was pride and selfishness. Husbands and wives, you remember the last time you had an argument? I'm sure it's been a long time. But isn't it rooted in pride and selfishness? See how it ruins everything? The fight with your kids, the fight with your coworkers, the argument that you have with your life group, even some of the things that have happened in churches that you're well aware of. What's at the root of it? Pride and selfishness. If I sit in the seat of Jesus, then everything is ruined. And my pride and selfishness kick in. And James speaks to this in verse 1 of chapter 4. I told you, we're going to ping pong. We're going back and forth. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 1. He says, what's the source of your wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you don't ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you will spend it on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? What we have is a situation in our society, you, you name top to bottom, and it's not just outside the church, it happens in churches, sadly, full of envy, full of anger, full of pride, full of selfishness, full of all these things, and sometimes, unfortunately, we sit in our chairs and we scratch our heads and we wonder, why in the world are we in the situation that we're in? James is saying, look, just look in the mirror. Next time you have an argument, ask yourself, is this about me? Is this about winning? Is this about being right? Or is this about building community? Is this about building a relationship? Is this about restoring a marriage? Is this about something that's going to bring somebody closer to Jesus? Or is it about me? Too many times we're going to answer it's about me. And I think that's the conviction that we all need to have is let's get away from me and let's get into Jesus. Let's get away from my ideas and my philosophies and my theories and my evaluations and get into just simply what the Scripture tells us. Let's get into what the Gospel says about something that we're dealing with. The quarrels, the fights, the wars that rage amongst us, these wars, they're spiritual as much as physical, and they're all rooted in our pride. Or they're rooted in somebody's pride, and we get to be the opportunity. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not God Almighty. We're not Jesus but we get to be the conduits that point people back to him. Maybe we need to walk into some of these wars and some of these arguments and just remind people, I love you, and I love you, and I know you're at conflict right now, but this is not bringing Jesus any glory. I love you where you're at in life. I understand your situation. I understand that you're you're having some conflict in your life, but this situation is not bringing you closer to Jesus. And I promise you, if we will step out of the wars and let the Holy Spirit fight the battles for us, if we will stand behind Jesus Christ and let him fight for us, life changes. It doesn't mean everything gets easy. It doesn't mean everything gets rosy and rainbows and sunshines, as I like to say. But it means that things will be taken care of based on Jesus' love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we all want that. We all want that. Sometimes we just don't have the patience for it. You know, there's a, there's a problem. We just talked about our pride and selfishness. We all face this problem. We all struggle with this problem, some of us more than others, and please don't point fingers because that goes back to the judgment thing. and we already talked about that. But you know, there's an antidote to the problem: the humility found in Jesus Christ. You want to know how to fix the pride and the selfishness in your life? Turn back to Jesus. You want to know how to get your home to stop warring against itself? Turn your home back to Jesus. You want to know how to, to really find a, a workplace that is, that is a little more peaceful? Turn yourself back to Jesus. The longer you stay in the in the in the avenue in the 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 will of the Lord, the quicker things will become more about Jesus. Your coworkers will notice, where well, there's something different about you. What's different about you that that all these fights, you never seem to want to be a part of them? All the gossip, you never really seem to be interested in it. Why is that? Because I know Jesus, and I know that that gossip doesn't mean anything to Jesus. He'd rather love the person than hurt the person. Why Why is your marriage so strong? Well, to be honest with you, we're not super strong. We just have a great foundation in Jesus Christ. We still have problems. We still fight. We still worry about money. We still got kids that sometimes make bad decisions. But we are grounded in Christ. And because of that foundation, it's okay. We'll be all right. We have got to be the humility of Jesus. When prayers are all about me, all I'm in promoting is about me. When prayers become telling God to bless my situation and not being part of his, pride, selfishness. When prayers become to treat God as a genie, Wanting him to grant my every wish, it's about me. When my prayers are just that, my prayers, then nothing that I'm doing is about Jesus. I'll never forget, I've said it a few times, I've probably said it from the stage. Bono from YouTube, one time at a pastor's breakfast, said, stop asking God to bless what I'm doing. And start asking God to send me where he's blessing. And so for us, if your situation, like there's a lot of war, then go somewhere that there's peace. If there's a lot of conflict in a rela- relationship, then go build into a relationship that has peace. Because when you build community with other people, the peace will follow you. And it will go before you. But we've got to change our tone and get away from the quarrels and the, and the, and the pride and the selfishness, that war and rage within us. We've got to do whatever Jesus calls us to. So really, to be honest, the, the, the application is simple. Whether you have never known about Jesus Christ, or this is your first, or, or you've had some conflict and you need to return to Jesus, the path is simple. We return to Jesus. What do I do when I walk out of this building? How do I find peace instead of war? How do I find humility instead of pride and selfishness? Then I return to Jesus. I wish there was something more, you know. Hey, there are three steps in this. To me, there's one step, and it's very simple: return to Jesus. Make sure that whatever you do, you're focused on him. Let's continue on in chapter 4, verse 6. He said, but he gives grace, but God gives grace, uh, gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That doesn't make sense. And that's anti-everything we've been told by society. But we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. So let's unpack these verses just a little bit, shall we? Because I think really if we're honest and we really can focus and dial in, these words are straightforward. Humble yourself before the Lord. See that there's a better way. Basically, when we tell you how to change your life, and we say the phrase, humble yourself before the Lord, it's very simple. Get out of the driver's seat. Stop trying to live your life where you're in control and put Jesus in control of your life. That is weird. It will feel weird at first, but I promise you it's more fulfilling when Jesus is leading you than you trying to control Jesus, because there's a difference. Jesus leading you will take you to the places where you didn't think possible, and you didn't understand that you had the strength to go through that, or you didn't understand that that was what he was calling you to, but when we humble ourselves and he's leading us, it's possible, but when I'm controlling, then I'm not going to do anything that I don't feel comfortable with, and that is pride. If I'm controlling this situation, then I feel like I have to have my thumb on every decision and every inch going, Jesus, I can't do that, so go get somebody else. Get Wayne to do that. I don't care. You just, you just keep putting your thumb on it. And the problem is when you're in control, you limit the power of Christ in your life. When you are in control, then the sin that is really bogging you down and weighing you down can never be released because you got your thumb on the button. The problem that you're facing can never be resolved because you will not let go of your pride. Release yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. What he says here in verse 6, he says, Resist the proud but gives grace to the humble. I've I've been a Christian now going on almost 20 years. Actually, almost 30 years. I should do the math before I speak. You're welcome. In all my years of knowing Jesus, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, when I've needed Jesus' grace... Do you know the one thing that kept me from that grace? Me. Me. If I will release my pride and I will give myself over to the Lord, then His grace will be like a, like a fire hydrant of grace on top of me. And when I experience grace, then I want to give grace. Because it was given to me, I need to give it to somebody else. I need to give it to somebody else. And all of a sudden, revival is taking out because I received the grace of Jesus Christ. You want your marriage to be fixed? Be graceful. Receive the grace and then give the grace. Don't reverse that. Don't say to your spouse or to the conflict or the situation, look, you give me some grace and then I'll give it back. That's pride. And that's arrogance. And to put it very bluntly, that's just plain stupid. But if I will receive the grace, then I will give the grace. I can't give you what I haven't received. So let me receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Humble yourself before the Lord. Get out of the driver's seat. Give up the sin. Give up the thing. Give up the relationship. Give up the job if you have to. Be very careful about that. I don't, I'm not trying to tell you to quit your job, but if, it, if it's keeping you from the grace of Jesus Christ, give it up tomorrow. But whatever you got to do, get out of the way, get out of control, and give your life to Jesus Christ. Humble yourself before the Lord and allow Him to show you there's a better way. Resist evil. Man, I mean, we were talking to a few of us that ever since camp has gotten back for the students, and we're not talking about you, but we're, we're seeing things that our families that have been to camp and students that have given their life to Christ or they've put some real strides in their relationship to Christ, some of the volunteers and the sponsors, do you know how much the devil has attacked our students and our families and our sponsors since they've returned to Christ or returned from camp? That's not by accident, that's not by coincidence. That's because evil doesn't like all the strides that you guys made at camp. And I'm telling you as your pastor, as a brother in Christ, and some of you as just a close friend, resist the temptation to give in to evil. Because the devil would love nothing more than to take that entire week of camp throw it out the window. Some of us, the life group that you've been a part of, the lessons that you've learned, the, the sermons that you've been a part of, everything about this, man, resist evil to go back to the way it used to be. Resist evil to give in to that temptation. Resist evil to give in to that addiction. Resist evil to give in to that situation that you know is not right. How can I do that, Scott? It's so tempting. It's so satisfying. It's right there. It's easy. I can pick it up at the grocery store. I can get it at the computer. It's so easy. I can get to it. How do I do it? You bring in the power of the Holy Spirit. Humble yourself before the Lord and he gives grace and he gives power and he gives freedom. But you have to give up what is locking you down. I promise you, if you feel like it's a 10-ton weight hanging on you, keeping you down in the power of Christ, it's like a feather. And all you need to do is say, I can't do this anymore, and resist evil. Humble yourself before the Lord and walk the steps of peace. Draw near to Jesus is James' next encouragement. How do we do that? We do that through our life groups. We do that for going on mission trips. We do that here in our worship service. But you know what is most important that some of us fail to do on a daily basis? What did the Bible tell me this morning? Not what did my pastor tell me. Not what did my life group tell me. Not what did the the random scripture passing on the church tell me. But what did my Bible tell me this morning? Better yet, what did Jesus tell me through this Bible that he helped construct? If we will daily humble ourselves and spend time in God's Word, you won't question what God's will is. You will know God's will. The more time you spend in the Word of God... The stronger your relationship with Jesus will be, the better your marriage will be, the better your parenting skills will be, the better employee you will be, the better you name it you will be because you are grounded in the scriptures of God. But if I fail even a single day to to not see what God wants me to see, then I will draw away from Jesus, not near Jesus. So whatever you have to do, make sure that you daily spend some time into this good book. I don't understand it all. Yeah, guess what? We all don't. There are things in the Old Testament we just can't say because it sounds bad, but it's just somebody's first name. (laughs) But if I read the New Testament and I read the, the scriptures and I read the parables and I read the stories and I understand this is not written to us, but it's written for us, then my life will change. I will know who Jesus is. I will know what Jesus has done. And I will know what Jesus is about to do because of this book right here. If you don't have a Bible, I want to tell you right now, you are welcome to this Bible this morning. All you got to do is come find me and this book, this Bible right here will be yours. If you need it, it's here for you. I give it to you freely. There's no judgment. There's no payment. There's no, just shake my hand or hug my neck and just take the Bible and walk but get into the word and draw near to Jesus on a daily basis and watch what Jesus does to change your life. Get rid of sin and sinful living. Repent. Don't go back. I know it's easy to be tempted. I know it's easy to sin, but don't go back to that stuff. It's temporary. That addiction, it's temporary. Why do they call it addiction? Because you can't live without it, which means it was temporary to begin with. It promises a lot and fails more. But you know who does promise and does deliver and is always faithful? Jesus Christ. That sinful living that you know is not right doesn't draw you closer to Jesus. Get rid of it and watch what Jesus replaces it with. Is it a quick, easy turnaround? No, I wish it was because then that would e- everybody would do it. Sometimes it's a very painful process, but it's worth every pain for every promise of Jesus Christ. Give your life to Christ and resist the sin and sinful living evaluate where you're at I have to do that on a daily basis you know I hope some of you don't have that you know preacher on the pedestal thing because that's not me I'm a sinful man the only difference in me and some of you is that I pray to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness and grace and some of you that puts us right on the same level playing field I think we cannot live our lives without Jesus' grace and forgiveness, but I can't do it if I'm always going back to the sinful relationships, the sin habits, the addictions, the things that are blocking me from Jesus. I've got to get rid of them. That's why James says, have the funeral. Turn that joy of that temptation, turn that joy of that addiction, and turn it to mourning so you understand that you cannot live without Jesus. All the things that you think are bringing you just this happiness and this, this energy and this, this persona that you just you think you need Get rid of it. Have the funeral and realize that it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that you can function. And the last thing that he says give yourself to Jesus. Draw near the Lord. Humble yourself again and bring yourself to Jesus. You know, some of you don't realize, and I'm gonna make sure everybody does, especially those of you that are guests, we say welcome to you. There's some crosses at either side of this room right here. There's one that's up there in the mezzanine that's a little bit out of my eyesight. These are not here simply for decoration. These are mile markers for some of you. And what we would encourage you this morning, before we get to the Lord's table, before we enjoy communion together, we want to humble ourselves before the Lord. And so at one of these crosses, there'll be prayer partners here. They would love to pray with you. They would just love to be a hand on your shoulder just to let you know that you're not alone. But we want you to humble yourself before the Lord. If there's something, if there's a sin in your life, and you know that it's blocking you from the grace of Jesus Christ, then today, today, pray about putting it on that cross as a representation that from this point forward, I am not going to do that sin ever again. I'm going to do whatever it takes to repent and do a whole 180 and go in the opposite direction so that there's nothing blocking me from the the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's that you need to give your life to Christ because you've never known somebody that was going to give grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. And today could be that day. Eric's sitting right here, and I know he'd be willing to talk to you. I'm going to be right here. There are other friends that are going to be in this room. We would love to let you know what that means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we invite you during our time of response, just come up here and just say, hey, would you tell me how can I know Jesus? And we will be willing to share with you all that we can about coming to know Jesus Christ. And maybe there's something you just say, I just need to humble myself. The sin's doing pretty good. I'm, I'm asking forgiveness. But there's just a little bit of pride, a little bit of selfishness keeping me from that next level of our spiritual relationship, Jesus, then pin it up on the cross and say never again. Humble yourself before the Lord and watch the Lord change your life. It's a scary proposition. Very scary. It takes a bold step of courage to get out of a chair and walk forward in front of God and country and do that. But I want to make you this declaration, this promise. Some of you received a worship guide. Somewhere on there is enough of a section that you could write a little note. You could tear it off. And I will make this promise to you. If you will come and you say, "I'm, I'm not courageous enough to go forward and put something on the cross. But I would like to lay something at Jesus' feet. Then as your pastor and a friend, or maybe just as somebody that we're just getting to know each other today, I promise you, I will take it and go lay it before the Lord today for you. And I will say, Lord, somebody gave me this, and they're, they want to put this. And I know in their heart, in their mind, they would love to come forward, but it's scary. But bef- together as pastor, as friend, as brother and sister in Christ, they are laying this before you. If that would help you release that wall, let's do it together. Because we don't want any person to leave here without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ.